0: Welcome to the program The Spirituality of the Catholic Church as Father Paul Keenan teaches on God and man and the Catechism of the Catholic Church and now Father Paul Keenan I'm Father Paul Keenan I'm Assistant Director of the Office of Communications at the Archdiocese of New York. It's a pleasure to be with you once again as we discuss together and share together the spirituality of the Catholic Church, particularly as it is found in the Catechism of the Catholic Church and what that catechism reminds us of about ourselves, about our church, about our faith, about our world, about the mission that we all have to make this world a better place, and above all, What it reveals to us about the God who loves us so much and who is such a wonder in our lives. We are to the point of talking about that section of the creed where in the first part of the catechism where we talk about I believe, we believe, and what we believe. Because remember, there is content to our belief, Um, both content and and direction to our belief. It's not just uh, we believe in general, oh, please give me something to believe in, we say sometimes, and, and yet something to believe in just won't do. We need something definite. We need something concrete. And our creed, whether it be the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed, the, the creed we say every day with the rosary, or the creed that we say on Sunday at Mass most of the time, Whichever creed we're using, um, it does something for us. It gives us content. There is content to our belief. We believe in God the Father Almighty, and we believe certain things about him. We believe in Jesus Christ, and we believe certain things about him. And a little later, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and I believe certain things about him. So our faith, our Catholic faith, gives us content, but I said it gives us something more. It also gives us a sense of direction. Because this faith, if we take it at its ultimate point, at its deepest point, this faith of ours is not just a compilation of statements in a book. It is that which gives our lives depth and dimension and direction and beauty. I mean, I'm holding in my hands right now the wonderful Catechism of the Catholic Church, and it's a wonderful book. But my faith is not just the truths in a book. I mean, I'm glad these truths are here, because you and I need to know what it is we know as Catholics, what it is that Catholics know. One of the great problems in our church and in our world, I think, is that many Catholics don't know what they're supposed to know. And this is one of the reasons that we need ongoing evangelization, ongoing catechesis in our church. We need to know what the church teaches, the content of it. But our faith is much, much more than content. It's relationship. It's mystery. It's a a way of life. It is... An entry into the mystery, the very mystery, the very heart of God, the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who underpin every bit of our lives, who surround every bit of our lives, and who hold us in the palm of their hand in the very center of our hearts and our souls. So we're talking here about belief in its deepest, deepest dimension. Belief, I believe, I believe the truths, but I also believe the persons. I believe the depth as well as the truth. So we have talked about I believe in God the Father Almighty, and I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Let's talk about the third person of the Trinity now. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, you'll remember a couple of programs back, if you've been listening, um, I quoted something from Albert Einstein, who said, I want to know the thoughts of God. All the rest are details. Remember that? Uh, That's pretty striking from someone like Einstein. Um, A friend of mine, by the way, not so much commenting on Einstein, but commenting on spirituality and science, Remarked something very interesting to me one time. He said, "You know, it used to be. it used to be that a scientist would say, "Believe in God, don't be silly. I'm a scientist." And now more and more we're finding that uh, scientists will say, "Believe in God. Of course I believe in God. I'm a scientist." And there we have Einstein saying the same thing: "I want to know the thoughts of God." All the rest are details. Well, the Catechism reminds us of something. No one, no one really comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. I know if I sit down to try to figure out the thoughts of God, um, it just gets all muddled. It gets all too complicated if I try to do that on my own. Those of us who know a little bit uh, about the history of the Catholic Church and about uh, the history of philosophy and theology in the Catholic Church know all about um, the story of the battle between faith and reason, that reason all by itself tries to grapple with the truths of life and uh, tries to come to understand them, but we can't do it. We can't do it by ourselves. The truths of life, the real truths of life are too big and too incomprehensible for us. We need help. That's why God gave us revelation. That's why he gave us the tradition, the apostolic tradition. That's why he gave us the magisterium, the teaching authority of the church, because we need help. That's why he gives us grace, the grace of believing, the gift of faith, we call it, so that we can indeed transcend what we can know by reason. No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God, and how could we? So far as my thoughts are above your thoughts, are my ways above your ways, says the Lord. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. No one can possibly, any of us, comprehend God's thoughts except the Spirit. And the Catechism then really points out how the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, and the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, have a joint mission in the world. Their mission in the world is a mission that they do together, and that is to reveal the Father. To reveal who it is we are, and who it is we're meant to be, because the Father is the very being of God. The Son reveals the Father, and the Spirit reveals the Father. They have this as their joint mission. So the mission of Jesus and the mission of the Spirit are a common mission that they have in the world, to reveal to us who God is, and in revealing to us who God is, they reveal to us what the world is and who we were meant to be. So it's a shared mission. And that's important because You know, that shared mission of the Persons of the Trinity reminds us that we have a shared mission in the world, too. It's not only I who have something to do in the world, but we all do it together. Since we're all made in the image and likeness of God, we are all trying to reveal the Father in everything that we do. Perhaps if we reflected on that fact a little more, we would have less hostility and less opposition to each other, and less separation and division. My goodness, if we just could realize that we're all really on the same side here. We're all really meant to be on the same team. We're all meant to be here in the world revealing God to each other. We could just get that through our heads. I think we'd have half the problems in the world, licks, wouldn't we? It'd be quite a different world. But we need to remember that because we've forgotten, we've forgotten that we have a shared mission. And it's a mission that we get from the Trinity, from the Father, Son, and Spirit. But let's take this thought in another direction for a moment, because that's where the Catechism goes with it here. It says, remember we talked about Jesus being the Anointed One, the Christos, the Christ. God has made both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Well, the Catechism says Jesus is anointed because the Spirit is His anointing. And that everything that occurs from the Incarnation on derives this fullness from the fact that when Jesus is glorified, when Jesus is anointed, It's because the Spirit is His anointing and the Spirit is His glory. Now, what is this Spirit? It's a Spirit of wisdom, a Spirit of understanding, but most fundamentally, I think the best way for our mortal minds to really get a sense of what this Spirit is, is to say that the Spirit is the love, the powerful love that goes back and forth between the Father and the Son. The Son is the image of the Father, reflects the Father perfectly, and is more than just an image because He and the Father not only reflect each other, but love each other. They not only mirror each other, but they love each other. I mean, I can look in the mirror in the morning and not necessarily love what I see. There could be a difference between um, what I see and what I love. But with God, it's uh, the reflection and the love are all there all together. The Father and the Son are constantly loving each other, and that love is so powerful that it's a person, it's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So think about what that means when the Catechism says, Jesus is anointed because the Spirit is his anointing. What anoints Jesus is love, is divine love, the love the Father has for him and the love he shares himself with the Heavenly Father. See, when we think of anointing, we think of, oh goodness, making someone special or making them higher or something like that. But wouldn't it be great if when we thought about anointing, whether it's the anointing of baptism or the anointing of a priest's hands when he's ordained, or the anointing of uh, someone when they receive the sacrament of confirmation, or the anointing of someone when they receive the uh, sacrament of the sick, the anointing of the sick, if we thought of those anointings as celebrations of love, Wouldn't that make such a difference in what we saw? If we saw how we are called to love in baptism, if we saw that we are called to love in confirmation, if when we're sick we saw that we were bathed in love, see that's what we need when we're sick, when we're down and out and we're sick. Often enough we think that nobody cares and nobody minds and nobody understands what I'm going through and nobody feels the pain I feel or the loneliness that I feel when I'm sick. If only we could experience ourselves as anointed and have that anointing mean for us that we're bathed in love. God's love for us just pouring out all over us and the love of the whole church, the whole faith community pouring out all over us as well. And what if for our priests? where the anointing takes place, when the bishop anoints the hands of the priest. What if for our priests we could see our priests, and our priests could see themselves as just being engulfed in a big wave of God's love? And if we realize that the meaning of the priesthood, both, I think, the baptismal priesthood that we, we all participate in, and the special priesthood of the sacrament of holy orders if we could just see ourselves as like out in the ocean and we're engulfed in this big wave of love and we let it wash over us and through us and out beyond us to all over the world as the wave goes right back out again to all over the world if we could come to see ourselves And to understand that when we speak of ourselves as being anointed, or when we speak of others as being anointed, that's exactly what we're talking about. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing? Wouldn't we get a lot of joy from that, and a real understanding of of who we are, and what we're meant to do and to be? Well, the Catechism says it. Jesus is anointed because the Spirit is his anointing. Now here's another striking thing the Catechism says. When Jesus is glorified, then he can send the Spirit. That's why Jesus had to go back. Because it's only then, when he is finally glorified at the side of the Father, that he is in a position to really do the loving that he so much wants to do. It's then that he can send the Spirit. It's then that he can share the love with us. It's then that Pentecost can take place, and we can receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There is something very special about the Gospel of St. Luke, I think. It's probably in all the Gospels, but I see it very, very especially in the Gospel of Luke, that whenever something happens, say, later on in some of the later parts of Luke's Gospel, there has always been some kind of sign that it was going to happen earlier on in Luke's gospel. Um it's a remarkable thing about that. I've seen it thought about it for a long time. It's it's um so much like living the soulful life. We don't take time to prepare anymore. If we took more and more time to appreciate the need to prepare, we rush into dinner and we rush into recreation and we rush into our projects, we don't take time. And if we just took more time, lived our lives more soulfully, how much happier we would be. Well, God takes time. It's one of the great marks of our religion and One of the great marks of God that through the liturgical seasons, I'll say more about that later on, That's just one example, the Church encourages us not to simply rush through the mysteries of God and the mysteries of life, but to take time, to mark time, to think of them. Well, the sending of the Spirit of God, which we ordinarily associate with Pentecost, is something that God had been preparing for for a very, very long time, the Catechism tells us. He'd been preparing for it in creation. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters, we're told, in the creation accounts. The Spirit was present in the promises that God made after the fall of Adam and Eve to renew his people. The Spirit was present in the law. In the law. The law just wasn't ten commandments or six hundred commandments that were meant to be empty. No, they were meant to reveal God's care for his people and God's desire to reveal to us his entire plan. That's why when the law in his time had, in so many cases, um, gotten away from what it was meant to be and become just kind of a series of things you argued about, Jesus came back and reinterpreted the law. In some instances by loosening it up, in some instances by tightening it up again. But he wanted the law to be something living. He wanted the law to be a revelation of his love. He wanted the law to be a an understood, a comprehended letter of love. The letter of the law as a letter of love. God revealing enough love for his people to be able to give them direction and guidance in the practical details of their life. After all, before God gave his people even the first commandment, he said to them, I am the Lord your God who led you out of the land of Egypt. He reminded them of his very concrete love for them. So this spirit of God's love, this anointing, glorifying spirit, was foretold even in the law. We don't often think about that. When the people of God were unfaithful to him and they were left in exile, they learned, they had to learn that even when we are not faithful, even when they were not faithful, God was still faithful to them. They listened to the prophets, the prophets who foretold the Messiah, who foretold the coming of the Messiah. They also listened to the prophets telling them, you people had better get yourselves back on track because... God is not pleased with the way you are. God who loves you so much and who pours himself out for you. Well, all of that is a reminder that God keeps his faithfulness to us even when we are not faithful. It's one of the great reminders of the Spirit. Even in the exile, even in that loneliness, the spirit of God was being revealed. We don't often realize that, do we? The catechism tells us and reminds us of that. Because sometimes we feel pretty lonely and pretty exiled ourselves, don't we? Maybe we've been under religious persecution. Maybe we've been bashed as Catholics and have felt that in our culture and in our society and know what it means to be beaten up because we're Catholics. And maybe we feel... Sometimes that we're in exile because we stand up for our beliefs. Or maybe we are just feeling very lonely and beaten up by life. God is faithful even when we are not. Certainly faithful when we are. But even when we're not, God is faithful. Something for us to remember. God is faithful That faithfulness, and God's reminding us of that, is a manifestation of the Spirit. The whole period of waiting for a Messiah was the manifestation of the Spirit. We can't even wait for God without his help. (laughs) Did you ever stop to think about that? We can't even wait for God without his help. That's where it's gotten to. (laughs) That's where we are. We need that spirit there. Otherwise, how do we know what we're waiting for? John the Baptist, a wonderful, powerful manifestation of the spirit. Precursor of Jesus, a prophet and a Baptist, a baptizer. The Annunciation, the angel Gabriel coming to Mary to invite her to be the mother of God, that was a manifestation of the spirit. And then, of course, the incarnation, the coming of Christ Jesus, the entire mission of the Son and the Spirit in the fullness of time, the Catechism says, is contained in this, that the Son is the one anointed by the Father's Spirit. Since his incarnation, Jesus is the Christ and the Messiah, the Son is the one anointed by the Father's Spirit. And remember what that word anointing means here. It means love. If the Spirit is the one who anoints and the Spirit is God's love, then the anointing is God's love. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And from Christ's death on, the mission of Christ and the Spirit is, goes on and on in the mission of the Church. As the Father has sent me, Jesus says, so I am sending you. And so we have the mission of the Church, which is the mission of the Spirit and the Church, begun at Pentecost, the coming down of the Holy Spirit and receiving the gifts of God, the guidance that the Holy Spirit gives to the Church through its teaching and through its sacraments, but listen to this. The church, the catechism tells us, is not just an addition or an extension that God puts on his mission. You know like he finished the mission and he then kind of thought up the church as an extension. The church, the catechism tells us, is the sacrament of Christ and the Holy Spirit's mission in the world. The church is the sacrament, the outward sign instituted by Christ to give grace, the living sign that makes happen what is signified. The church is the living means through which the mission, the anointing of Christ, sent to us in the Spirit, is brought into the world. So that's what we are, this church. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. We'll talk more about that in our next program. But the connection is clearly there. Through the church's sacraments, Christ communicates his holy and sanctifying spirit to the members of his body. Part two of the catechism, when we get there in just a couple of weeks, we'll say more about that. The morality of the church that we have when we hear the word of God, hear the laws, the laws of Christ, the laws of the church, they're the guideposts, the signs that God gives us of where we're to walk and where we're not to walk. Those are part of his loving care for us. Those are part of that anointing mission of Christ and the spirit in the world. They're part of the church. That's going to be part three of the catechism when we get there in a few weeks. And our ability to pray. The Spirit, too, prays for us in our weakness, for even when we do not know what words to say, the Spirit groans within us, gives us the words that we do not have in and of ourselves, When we pray, our ability to pray is part of that anointing, that outpouring of love that Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit are sending to us in the world so that we maintain that most fundamental connection with our roots. Our real roots, not our nationality, but our real roots in God the Father, and in the Son, and in the Spirit. That is part four of the Catechism which is about our prayer. So you see, everything that the church does, the church's worship, the church's doctrinal teaching and legislation, and the church's prayer, are not just additions or extra added attractions upon the mission of Christ and the Spirit, but they are the sacraments of it. The church is the sacrament, which presents to the world, to us, the anointing, loving, overpowering, mysterious, and ongoing mission of Christ in the Spirit. And that mission of Christ in the Spirit is revealing the Heavenly Father that we have, revealing His love which has been there for us since the beginning of time. So that's why they call all of this good news. Good news. Because we have so much bad news The world is awful, we're awful, we can't do anything about it. The good news is, oh yes, you can. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, and through the Holy Spirit and the church as well. Thank you for joining us today for the Spirituality of the Catholic Church with Father Paul Keenan. You may write to Father Keenan in care of the Office of Communications, Diocese of New York, 1011 First Avenue, New York, New York, 10022.